We want to say hi to all of our visitors today. Good to have you guys here on the campus of Indiana Wesley University. This is where you're going to be, so get used to it. All right, we'll just sign a deal right now. All right. You know, um, what's really cool here is that uh, as a professor, I get to be around people that I went to school with, all right, um, that are coming back and teaching and connecting. But I also get to be around some people that, you know, were my professors. And uh, there's one person in particular that I love to talk about every time I'm in chapel because I love this person so much. He means so much to us and the DNA of IWU. In fact, I've been so lucky. I'm going to read a section of scripture here um, that, that comes out of John. And multiple times I've been able to go with Dr. Wilbur Williams to Israel to, to walk in these very places. Who said Dr. Wilbur? All right. Yes. Joshua not knowing what Jehu had done. And the Oblish Castile. Does that sound close? Kind of? Oh, you guys are sad. I've been working on that for like 20 years. And you're not even buying it. I think it sounds great, John. Okay. I, I had you going, right? And so this, this guy is, uh, um, he, he is loved by us. Just so you guys know, you visitors, if you ever have a chance to get in his class, be prepped. It's not that easy, is it? The king's test is a little tough, but he exemplifies who we are because he loves you. He loves us, but he loves Jesus most of all. He adores his wife. I've been in in situations where we're moving through very treacherous areas of, in Israel where Wilbur's on a camel and his wife Ardelia's on a camel and you're working through this and and Wilbur is um, in that 80-year-old range. We'll just end it right there, all right? This guy kills it. He still is in front of the pack when it's 112 degrees and you're walking through the desert. This guy is amazing. But he, man, he's kind of like somebody that I think, for you visitors, um, is a picture of who we all strive to be like as professors, as leaders, as, as members of this IW community, somebody who's given their life and love to Jesus Christ. And because of that, there's no regrets. That guy has no regrets because he's given everything. You know, uh, for all you softball people that are here today, are you guys right over here? Your coaches will tell you all the time to leave it on the field. You don't have any regrets when you gave everything. And that's the topic this morning. In fact, this topic this morning, no regrets, was put in the system almost two months ago. And yet today we're going to end our chapel with a time of prayer. And I'll get to that at the very end. But the idea of no regrets is this. is studying the life of a person who was so connected to Jesus. He was so familiar with Jesus. He walked with Jesus. He was called by Jesus to be one of his disciples. Some people would say he was a lead disciple. I mean, this person was tight with Jesus. But yet, at one of the most critical points of his life, one of the most incredible opportunities to recognize Jesus and to proclaim Jesus and to tell the whole world that I know him and I love him and I'm with him, 
He denied him over and over and over. And we know the story, how Peter had that opportunity when this person came up. It's like, aren't you with him? Aren't you one of them? And Peter, at that moment when Jesus has been taken away to be beat, to be interrogated, to be crucified, his really good friend said, I don't know him. Leave me alone. Now we pick up the story. Some, I don't know, 32, 35, maybe some you know, days later. And so if you want to read with me, you can go to John chapter 21. And the backup to this story is Peter and a bunch of people, disciples, are out fishing. They're hanging out. They're on the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee, the beach. And I talk about this all the time because this is so critical. It's about the size of this stage. I mean, that beach where Peter is at, all right, and then where they're fishing off is no bigger than this stage, and it's very pebbly. And so they're out there fishing, okay, and they're getting nothing. All night they get nothing. And then this happens, all right? So they're out there, all right? Hey, guys, what are you doing? All right, they're out fishing. Fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied, verse 6. Then he said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will get some. So they did that. So these guys throw their net on the other side of the boat and they are loaded with fish. As they're loaded with fish, they look up. And finally, Peter recognizes Jesus. He throws off his outer garment, he jumps out of the boat, and he swims up to the shore. When he gets to the shore, what's Jesus doing? Jesus is hanging out there making breakfast, cooking breakfast on the beach, all right? And this is the process of Peter, and here's the key word, being redeemed, being loved back into relationship with Jesus, which is so critical to the DNA of what it means to be a Christian, all right? Jesus is loving him back, redeeming the relationship, allowing Peter to make a fresh start in his relationship with Jesus. All the years of relationship, all the years of strife and struggle and walking with Jesus were not nullified because he made a mistake. And Jesus is trying to teach him that. I want to redeem this relationship and the time that we've already spent And I don't want the regret of that decision, that terrible decision, to derail you from continuing in this incredible relationship with me. Now, I'm going to be honest with you guys right now. I mean, I'm dealing with that myself at times. There's times in my life where I think about regret and a decision that was made, whatever it is. And for some reason, that regret seems to derail me down the road, even past the point of forgiveness even past the point of surrender. You know, there's a lot of scholars that will talk about Peter and say, you know what? Not only did Peter live with regret from the moment he denied Jesus to the moment that he was redeemed by Jesus, but he lived with that regret. He rehearsed that regret over and over and over. And you see in his writings, the way he would talk, constantly get behind me, Satan, leave me alone. Regret is a messy thing, isn't it? It's a messy thing. It haunts us. 
And this morning, what we want to do is say this. Listen, you can live a life beyond regret, without regret. You can live a life beyond regret, without regret, by one key power. Not your own, but through surrender and commitment to Christ. And what does that mean? Let me explain. He goes through and says, listen, after breakfast is over, all right, he says to Peter, do you love me? Peter says, yes, I love you. A second time, Simon Peter, do you love me? Peter replies to him, of course, I love you. A third time, he says this, the third time, do you love me? And it says this, Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. You know that I love you. Why did he respond like that? Because of the regret. You know everything, Lord. You know my whole life. You know my meaning. You, you know my like, purpose. You, you see the inside of me. You're God. I'm not. You know that I love you, but I'm sorry. This is my perspective. I've been talking to quite a group of theologians and professors about this. And, and it's like, how do you think that Peter felt? And all of us feel the same way that Peter had this deep-seated, like, regret, like, would Jesus ever use me again because of what I did? Would Jesus ever, like, I know he'll love me again, but would he ever allow me to serve him again because of what I did? Would Jesus allow me to have this incredible ministry that I dream about because I don't know? And clearly what we see is this. You don't ever mistake pain and hurt the presence of suffering in your life for the absence of his love and commitment to you what's really hard for me is understanding how jesus sees me you see i have a pretty cool perspective of jesus I think he's pretty amazing. I read the stories. I know about him. I know how I see him. I know how we see him. We praise him. We glorify him. We sing about him. But sometimes I forget how he sees me. And I think he sees me like he is seeing Peter here. Saying, look, that regret can derail your progress your purpose and my plan for you don't allow it what do you do with regret how do you deal with failure and he made it so simple the principles are on a piece of paper and every can pass the test but actually living this out is a little tough because number one it's really clear you can't change all right the way you're living your life who you are until you First, change the way you see yourself. And you can't look at yourself from your perspective. You have to see yourself through the lens of Jesus Christ. And what does he see in you? He sees this amazing person. I say this in class all the time. It's not because it's like anecdotal or just something we, we throw out there all the time, but it's true. This chapel is loaded with talent. This chapel is loaded with people who are amazing. That's who you are. 
If I could speak on his behalf today, he would say, I love you. I care about you. I've put things in you, in your DNA that are incredible if you'll allow them to be seen, lived, and become active. But for those things to become active in you, you have to understand that you're living this life in relationship with me, with me, with my power, my strength. Don't look in the mirror and live regret because you see something that you don't think is that valuable. You look in the mirror and you see how Christ sees you as a redeemed person who he loves and cannot wait to use. He explains to Peter, listen, while you're young, your life is just becoming. But as you grow older, you're going to see these things revealed and you're going to understand how everything that you went through will serve to help you care about other people. You just have to live through this season of life. And that's the big joy in all of this. The big like deal for me is that you're not alone when you process through struggling, pain, hurt, or regret. There's a whole other side to it. Um... There's another part to this, um, and I see it in the life of other people. I mean, I like music, you like music, um, there's people that you're favorite. I often tell people that my favorite worship leader is a combination of people. It's a little bit of Bono, that he'd be in that worship leader deal. I'd put a little Johnny Cash in there. Um, a lot of you don't know this, but there was some great music in the 80s. All right, that people had long hair, all right? And so there is some great music that you're not even aware of, all right? That is, so I mix in, you know, some people from the 80s. Like, I'll, I'll throw a little Michael W. Smith in there from the older times, whatever. I throw John Foreman into that mix and stir it all up. And to me, that's a great worship leader, all right? But what I like is a story that I was reading about Johnny Cash. And I like this idea where he's explaining to a group of people, and this is right before he dies in 2003, how everything that he did in life, he's explaining this song called Hurt. In fact, we're going to play it in a minute. He's explaining this song like all the things that he did, all the life that he lived, he realized that it wasn't until he understood about the supernatural, he understood about eternal, he understood Jesus. Did he realize that the things that really counted were not found in success and music or fame or drugs or relationships, all the things that he was messed up in? But at the end of his life, the things that he valued the most are the things that, quote unquote, I left in Christ. That was his way of saying that the things that I did for Christ the things that I did to help other people see the truth of redemption in the middle of hurt and pain are the things that I don't regret. The rest of it I regret, the dumb decisions I made. And when I listen to this song, it's so painful. I know that a bunch of you are incredible musicians, and so you're going to say, this guy's voice is terrible. All right, I don't care. It's not about his voice. It's about the meaning. Just listen to it for a second. I'm gonna, we're going to just play it right now. It's not the greatest video. All right, the quality. But just listen.
I hurt myself today to see if I still feel I focus on the pain the only thing that's real the needle tears a hole the old familiar sting try to kill it all away but I remember everything what have I become my sweetest friend everyone I know goes away in the end and you could have it all my empire of dirt thorns upon my liar's chair full of broken thoughts I cannot repair beneath the stains of time the feelings disappear you are someone else I am still right here what have I become my sweetest friend everyone I know goes away messes with me over and over and over when I think about that line, what have I become? What am I? Who am I? And his life is filled with pain, the tragic death of his brother at an early age, his father who would look at him and say, the wrong son died. And pain and regret and at the end of his life, what have I become? This kingdom that I have in music is dirt. The only thing that matters to me now is what was done for Christ. I ask myself all the time, who am I? What have I become? You know what the good news is? I become closer 
to my, in my relationship with, with Jesus. That's who I become. I become more aware that I need him on a regular basis more and more. I become a person who understands that I need other people in my life, that relationships matter. I become a person who understands that when it's time to cry, you cry. And when it's time to celebrate, you celebrate. But you live the moments. And you understand that the epicenter of it all is that we have this community in Jesus Christ that's like no other community that exists on the planet Earth. And what they want is what we have. This unconditional love and acceptance by our God, Father, and Creator, knowing that no matter where we're at or what we're doing or where we've been, the regret that we live, that there is redemption, that there's hope. I become simple in my relationship with Jesus Christ because I trust him with everything. That's what I become. What are you becoming? You don't have to wait until you're on your deathbed to say to the world, I lived a life of regrets. If I could do it all over again, I'd do it differently. You know what? You're living it now. You're living it now. So be now. Live like Jesus now. Trust him now. And that will mark the rest of your life. You know, um, I know there's some visitors here today, uh, but there's a lot of pain that's happening in our IW community. And this is, has nothing to do with my messages. I'm done. But at the same time, we were praying about this this morning and over the last couple of days. And uh, I want to invite uh, Professor Eddie Shigley and Esther Shigley to come join me, and of course, our Dean of the Chapel, John. And we're going to pray over a family that's going through massive tragedy. You've seen it in the news about Davey and Amanda Blackburn down in Indianapolis, um, their nephew. And uh, there's about seven or eight cousins that are in this room this morning that are cousins with Davey. Uh, she was tragically killed in a home invasion, and it's all over the news. And these are our friends. These are people that we love and care about. In fact, Eddie and Esther were some of the first at the hospital to get there and to walk through this with Davey and, and this senseless, brutal tragedy. And so we just wanted to pray over you and the family as the funeral is on Sunday. And uh, um, so as we end this morning, um, you think about your life, all right, and the way you can live it. But right now, join us together, as John prays, over this family that is so near and dear to us here at IW. Listen to something that uh, Davey, Amanda's husband, wrote. He said, Amanda made it her life's calling to love and serve everyone she knew. Even more, she's made it her life's mission to see as many people as possible come to know Jesus as their personal Savior. I know that in her death and legacy, even more people will come to a saving faith in Christ. I hold firm to the belief that God is still good, that he takes our tragedy and turns it into triumph, and that the best truly is yet to come. Davy has a good grasp of how God can work in our lives, where the tragedy is inexplicable but the power of God is real this is family time would you stand with me and join me in support and crying out to God for help 
Father God, Abba, Daddy, we come to you now in pain. We try to make sense out of that which is senseless and cannot do it, but what we can do is come to you, the God of comfort, who meets us in our moment of pain, wraps his arm of love, your arms of love around us, and we're desperate for that. Pray for Davy today. His life is changed forever. We pray for Dave and Amanda's family. Dr. Shigley. We ask that you bring comfort and hope. More than that, we would pray that what Davy wrote would be true, that you would bring victory out of tragedy. That what the devil meant for evil would be experienced in the end as good and praise and lives would change. But today we just say help because we need your comfort. Father, I just have the sense that there are others in this room that not connected to this tragedy but who hold deep hurt today, deep pain themselves. And may they reach out to you right now and say, Lord, I need your love. I need your comfort. I need your strength. We lean into you. We're not strong enough. You are the strength we need today, and we count on you to come alongside and help us. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. We love God. He loves us. And he is the comfort in our pain. Go now. Serve him today in the midst of pain.